that. Now, I have enjoyed the study of Jonah. I don't know how you guys have gone with it, and I pray that you have learned something from it, but I, I've enjoyed the study of Jonah partially because I see a lot of myself in him. But more importantly, and more comfortingly, it's seen how great God is, even with the rebellious servant and with those who don't know him. I, I see it the way God and his grace continues to reach out to those that do know him, like Jonah, to those that didn't know him at all, like the sailors, and, and to a city that had nothing to do with him in Nineveh. You see the greatness of his patience, the wonder of his love, the, the, the extent of his grace are all exemplified in this book of four chapters in Jonah. And what's more, as you look at the whole book as a whole, it reaches even further as we're given an insight into God's reasoning for his persistence. God's reasoning for his chasing down of Jonah, God's reasoning for his involvement with the sailors, God's reasoning for the city of Nineveh. You see, for us, one of the hardest things, I don't know about you, but even for myself, one of the hardest realities to face is admitting that we're wrong or surrendering a position we think is totally justified. In a world today that seems to cast aside reasonable argument for irrational screaming, in a world that seems to cast aside thoughtful, thoughtful ideas and, and thoughtful dialogue for buzzwords and, and platitudes, and where the fact that literal truths, literal truths are cast aside for the feels or how, how somebody or somebody's personal preference or desire. We see clearly in the scriptures that God's word, God's word is to be the governing factor over all such things. God's truth is what we need to be relied upon, not, not our personal feelings. You look at 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. We read this. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life, through our knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. You see, we are to walk by faith, not by sight, according to 2 Corinthians 5.7, which is by faith, not by our feelings. We are to have our minds renewed, not being conformed to this world, according to Romans 12.2. And this is where I think sometimes what we need to do is take a step back from our context, take a step back from our situation, take a step back from our feelings and emotions and thoughts and allow these circumstances to be filtered through God's word, to be filtered through the unction of the Holy Spirit, to be filtered through the, the eyes of eternity as we keep our eyes upon the Lord Jesus. Because if we don't, our feelings can run away with us. If we don't, the, the arguments that we have against God might take root and steal themselves within us. And the bitterness that may have began as a seed within each of our hearts and minds, the enemy could probably use to grow it into full-blown defiance 
and the heart is so deceptive is that we, as God's children, won't even recognize that. So, with that, this morning we're going to close out our study through Jonah by studying God's grace upon him. But it's God's reasoning in comparison to Jonah's feelings. God's thoughts in comparison to Jonah's emotions. So we're going to open in a word of prayer, and then I'm going to do the Bible reading. So bow your heads. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for this morning. I thank you, as Joyce shared, that your ways are higher than our ways. Your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And while there are so many things that we do not understand, I pray that you will help each of us to trust in you, the author and perfecter of our faith. And you, our heavenly Father, who has given us the best that he has to offer in Jesus Christ. And I ask now that by your Spirit, you will open the truth of your word to us as you change us from glory to glory, as you conform us to the image of Christ, as you help us to de decrease so that you might increase. Please teach us now, in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've got your Bible, today's reading... We're going to start from Jonah chapter 3, verse 10, and read through Jonah chapter 4. So, if you remember Jonah chapter 3, he goes in, he preaches the message, the city repents. Jonah chapter 3, verse, Jonah chapter 3, verse 10, let's go. When God saw what they did, as in they repented, and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. But Jonah, but to Jonah, chapter 4, verse 1, but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That, that, that is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter and sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it to grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said. And I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight, and it died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left? And also many animals. It's a, it's a really crazy way to end the book, isn't it? 
But one of the greatest blessings, one of the greatest blessings given to us as people is the capacity to feel. The emotional highs of seeing the miraculous take place. The achievement of victories when, when, when obstacles are overcome. Or we get to observe the settled peace of the familiar. To the, net, to the other extreme, where, where we worry over the unknown, where we are filled with discouragement over various situations, and where we can be overwhelmed with, with aspects of negative thoughts that fill our mind and, and our whole beings. Pay attention. The reality is, how we feel is never to be the determining factor of what is right and what is wrong. How we feel is never to be the defining quality of what makes something true and what makes something false. A few years ago, we had Alex Stark come and speak, and he actually made this comment. Truth is uncovered. Truth is discovered. It is not created by what we believe or by what we think or by what we feel. And as important as our emotions are, they are at their best only when our emotions are connected and expressed in connection to truth. We have to understand that. And this is where Jonah's feelings get in the way. He refuses, because of the overwhelming emotion he was experiencing, to see the miraculous event that took place in Nineveh. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at Jonah's feelings. We read at, 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 the, at the beginning of um, chapter 4, verse 1, that he felt with God's relenting that a great wrong had been committed against him. We read that. He says to Jonah, this seemed wrong, and he became angry. He was angry that God relented. This word angry carries with it a few ideas, a few themes, to which the phrase burning with anger is actually appropriate. The word used here in Hebrew, it talks about a growing warmth. It even talks about glowing. It means glowing. It means to be incensed. And I had a look in the dictionary what incensed means. It means infuriated. It means furiously angry. It means, it means enraged. That's how Jonah was feeling. The Hebrew word used elsewhere in the Bible, it talks about wrath. It talks about even fretting. It talks about displeasure. Basically, the way Jonah was feeling was not how sometimes we get angry where you just go, <clears throat> and then get on with life. No, Jonah, Jonah was, he was, he was so upset that his temperature was rising. He was so upset that his face was turning red. He, he, was, he was so upset that he was like doing that really heavy breathing while he goes about his actions. He's like, <laughs> because he was consumed with nothing else but his anger. And this is confirmed by several things throughout the chapter, okay? The first is this, the irrational argument that he presents, that he brings before the Lord. Look at what he's angry over. Look at what is the source of this attitude that he has. We read in verse 2 that he prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. This is his, this is his reason. I knew that you were gracious and compassionate. I knew that you were slow to anger and abounding in love. I know that you are God who relents from sending calamity. That's his, that's his source of his anger. 
that God is God, that God is forgiving, that God is love, that God cares. He is acting like one of those, you may have done this at home, and I know I have done this at home. He is now walking around slamming cupboard doors. He's walking around stomping his feet. He's walking around throwing garbage into the garbage bin with authority and slamming the garbage lid. Brad's smiling right now because I think Brad's done this as well, okay? But, but that's, that's his reasoning for being upset. It's not, because, it's not because God is harsh or unreasonable. It's not because God is unforgiving or lacking of understanding. It's not because God is ignorant of man's plight, but the exact opposite. Jonah ran from God's call because God is gracious. He ran from God's call because God is compassionate. He ran from God's call because God is long-suffering, meaning slow to anger. He ran from God's call because God is and God abounds in love. In other words, Jonah ran. Jonah was angry because he was fearful that God would reveal himself to Nineveh the exact same way that he was gracious and loving towards Israel. He didn't want Nineveh to experience God's goodness. That's amazing. But that's his irrational argument that he presents. And what secondly, like, that's the first thing. The second thing he does is that he brings in from that irrational argument this irrational solution. Jonah closes out his argument in verse 3 by saying this, Take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. This seems to be a, a mindset of Jonah's. In chapter 1, verse 12, when he says to the sailors, throw me into the sea, and then the storm will cease. And for him, in his thinking, well, I'm speculating this, at, at best, he would be caught in the sea, drifting where he doesn't get to go to Nineveh and avoids the responsibility of going. I mean, that's, sorry, that's at worst. At best, that he would drown and be freed from that example no, freed from that calling, say, that vocation, to go there. But now he is so rolled up that he would much rather perish and ask the Lord to take his life rather than bear witness to Nineveh's revival, to Nineveh's redemption. This could be classed as the height of selfishness. God, you brought about revival in the city that I don't want to be witness to. God, you brought about a transformation I don't want to see take place. I would much rather die. In Proverbs 18.1, we read this. An unfriendly person pursues selfish ends and against all sound judgment starts quarrels. Now, I don't know how friendly or unfriendly Jonah was, but what I do see here is the exercise of unsound judgment. And it is revealed in what he argues and in what he concludes. He argues that God is good, and I don't like that. He argues and concludes, I want to die because I don't want you to be God. At Jonah's, uh, at Jono's, I sat in on Jono's study on Wednesday night. And it was good, I really enjoyed it. And Cass made a really cool observation. Okay? Um, Sorry, a sister made a really cool observation. But one of the things that I really like, and she made, uh, made comment regarding this, is how Jonah shares this relationship with the Lord, and that the Lord is not afraid of, of Jonah's feelings. The Lord is not afraid of how Jonah... There's this, 
there's this connection that Jonah has with God that he can openly and honestly pour out his heart before God and say, I don't like this. And he knew he could do this. That's the relationship he shared. And I've shared this numerous times throughout the past. And I think often we forget this, that we can be honest with God. We can be honest about how we're feeling. We can be honest about our discouragement that we're going through. We can be honest about the disappointment that we feel. God is far bigger than our feelings, far bigger than our doubts, far bigger than our concerns, far bigger than our complaints. We have to understand that, regardless of how we can open up to that. He felt open to say such things. Such was the privilege that Jonah had. And that's why he comes with this ridiculous solution and brought it before the Lord. And thirdly, so you've got this irrational argument, you have this irrational solution, and then he does this irrational act. And we talked about this on Wednesday as well. It's something I didn't notice until I sat in with the group. But the fact that he goes outside to the east of the city and sits out there. If you remember the message, and Brad read it this morning, 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. He goes outside the city to wait and see what happens to the city. Is he willing to wait 40 days? Is he going to sit there for 40 days in the, in the heat while he waits for God to relent on his relenting? I mean, it almost appears as Jonah, Jonah was hoping that God would change his mind in this. Again, an example of how we can be so consumed with how we feel that we can reach this irrational basis for our arguments, come up with an irrational solution to prove those arguments, and then do some crazy things, hoping that our point will be proven. Such is the sinfulness of our own hearts. And this is a man of God. This is a prophet of God doing this. And we, Jono asked us this great question. Oh, sorry, most of this I got from Jono's study group on, on Wednesday night. I'm just kidding. But Jono asked a great question. It was, was Jonah's anger justified? Was Jonah's anger sinful or not? And we as a whole group all agreed that while there are some points in, in life where anger is justified, the, the righteous anger, for example, in John 2 when Christ cleared the temple, the, the anger of injustice that's committed against the poor and the widows and the orphans. That's why Isaiah chapters 1 through 5 looks at. And there's anger at our own self for committing or falling into Sin that leads to repentance. There, is, there are instances where anger can be justified. But Jonah's anger, on the other hand, was sinful. He was upset over God being God. He was angered that people repented in submission to him. He was upset that his purpose was fulfilled, but not only fulfilled, his calling was successful. People came to know the God of Israel, and that's what was the source of his anger. When you're governed in such a way, when you're governed solely by how you feel, those results can be damaging. If we only ever did what we felt like we would not do, 99.9% .9 of the things we're supposed to do. I look at my parents, and how... I know, I know my parents, they worked hard to give my siblings and I a good life. And they sacrificed a lot so we could experience that life. Did they want it? Did they feel like it? No. But they did what was right. They supported us as kids. And Proverbs chapter 30, verse 33 says this. 
as churning cream produces butter, and as the twisting of the nose produces blood, so stirring up anger produces strife. And we see the strife stirred up in so many ways. You look at Moses in Numbers chapter 20, when he got angry and struck the rock when he was supposed to speak to it, and he suffered, he stirred up strife. Balaam and his donkey, when he got angry while he was going to curse Israel and was stirring up strife. And here, Jonah, Jonah stirs up strife because he could not see the amazing work that he was a part of and the beauty of God's love. He was, he was not, not able to witness the gentle, not, not just witness, witness and identify the gentle dealings with God that he has with Nineveh, but also the gentle dealings of God that he had with him, especially as God tries to teach him. So, what is God trying to teach you? I know I shared this last week. What is God trying to tenderly reach out to you for? How was he trying to, to meet you where you are at? What are you doing to be able to recognize his hand and his movement in each of your lives? And through your, your family situation, through this lockdown circumstance, how are you able to recognize the hand of God in each of your lives? Because those are Jonah's feelings. And Jonah's feelings are not connected to truth. Jonah's feelings are solely connected to himself and what he desires. And that's what stirred up strife within his heart. And that's when you take Jonah's feelings and then you connect them in comparison to God's reasoning. Once again, another question from Jono. Jono asked a really good question on Wednesday night when he said, and he encouraged all of us at the group, he asked, where do you see God's harsh discipline and where do you see God's tender involvement in dealing with Jonah? Which, when you read the book, is clearly defined. You have his discipline, God's discipline exercised in chapters 1 and 2 as God reaches out to him to a rebellious servant, to a rebellious child, and reaches out to him. And then, like a loving father, comes alongside him in chapters 3 and 4 and reveals his tenderness while he tries to minister to Jonah, to grow his heart, to expand his vision, to see more than just what he is feeling. And even though there's this overwhelming blindness on Jonah's part, God lovingly and tenderly reasons with him in an attempt to develop his person and open his eyes. Like I said, like a loving parent, like a loving father invests into, the into a child's life, Jonah's heavenly father invests into him by firstly trying to get him to think, or in other words, to look beyond himself. Secondly, takes him on a journey through an experience with him or makes it relatable. And thirdly, when he was adamant and standing his ground, just plainly tells him why he's acting in such a way. So, getting him to think. It's hard to see beyond the circumstance. Especially when something takes place that puts a great deal of stress on the situation. In about 2003, we lived on a campsite, and I remember this quite distinctly. Um, Emily broke her arm. She was playing on the back porch. She fell off, landed on a chair. I heard a scream. Heard a scream. She came running around the house, and her arm was contorted in an unnatural way. Now, my first, my first reaction was like, ah! 
like, Whoa! and I was like, okay, and she was crying, she was screaming, things. she wasn't actually crying, crying, but she's sort of, she's a very tough girl, but she's just sort of like, it's, it's, it's not right, and I was like, that's not right. Okay, now, when you have those sort of things going on, it's hard to think clearly. It's hard to think in a, in a focused way. Often people say that remaining calm, keeping your cool, and working through thoughtfully helps one with the issue that they face. What God does here with Jonah is tries to get him, regardless of what happened, to assess the situation. He asks him in verse 4, is it right for you to be angry? Notice, notice he doesn't say, why are you angry? He doesn't say, what is the reason that you're angry? He actually says to him, is it right? Is it right for you to be feeling this way? And that's a profound thought. For today, when everything is based upon how you feel or what you think, we often overlook this one thought. Is it right? Is it right? And I think that's why much of society today seems to be getting further and further away from God because they never ask the question, is it right? It's not a matter of whether one is angry or not. It's a matter of, is it right that you're angry? It's, it's not a matter of whether you've got to do something or not. It's a matter of, is it right that you do this or not? We, there are so many things we don't like doing, but we do because it's the right thing to do. And what determines what is right? God's word. Thank you very much, Joyce. That's right. See, it doesn't matter how we feel. It doesn't matter what we think. It's a matter of, does God's word say what it is or not? Is it truth? Is it God's word? That's why we have to look to the person of Christ. That's why we have to allow God's word to fill our minds and to fill our souls. Because is it right for Jonah to be angry at Nineveh's repentance? No, it's not. Is it right that people had come to know the greatness of God, to be angry over that? No, it's not. Is it right that you're angry at God's offering of forgiveness that is then accepted? No, it's not, because what's interesting is that you're not told how Jonah responds. He doesn't say anything. He asks, is it right that you're angry at this? Jonah knows that, he's not, that it's not right, so what does he do? He does that harumph and walks outside and sits outside the city and waits for God to judge it. That's what he does. So what does God do? He does the second thing. He takes, journey, he takes Jonah through a journey of an experience with him. We read in verses 5 to 8 that while he's sitting outside, as he waits for something to happen to Nineveh, God provides a leafy plant. And he's appreciative of that. You look in verse 6. And then a worm is provided by God who kills the plant, leaving Jonah to the elements that were so harsh. There's a scorching east wind. The, the, the blazing sun beat down. It was so extreme that Jonah grew faint. You read this at the first part of uh, verse 7 and the first part of verse 8. Now, as unfair as this may sound to how God gave something to Jonah and then took it away, I do that as a parent. No, I'm not saying that as a parent when my kids are growing up, I'll sit there and get here you go, here you go, ah, no, I'm not saying I do that. What I'm saying is that in order to teach our children, there are some things we would say no to. In order to teach our children or to help them to see beyond what they're going through, we would probably give them something, or if they had been given something, take it from them in order for them to see beyond themselves. And this is what God does here. This is the tender heart of a loving father. Where he sits here and wants Jonah to learn. He says, look, you, you have this, and now you, have, now you don't have it. 
I want you to see something. But the human heart is a stubborn thing. You look at, look at Jonah in, in verses 8b in verse 9. He says, it says this, Jonah wanted to die. And he said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Notice he answers here. It is. It is right, he says. And I'm angry that I wish I was dead. Now I'm not making fun of Jonah. But now he is just completely consumed by how he feels. There is nothing else that matters to him except him. And it's, he answers this one that God asks of him because the plant was of benefit to him. The plant was something that provided something he could use. That's why he was angry. It was something that he benefited from and then was taken away. Nineveh was something that he didn't want around at all. That's why he didn't answer. That's why he avoided the answer. So I reckon now he is just fed up with everything that's going on, that every little thing is just, I'm going to die. I don't like it. I mean, you know, drama much, but this is pretty much Jonah's position. This is where he is now. He doesn't see the full-on sinful attitude of anger that he is now holding on within his heart. So the Lord has to thirdly just tell him plainly. He has to tell him plainly what his reasoning was. He has to tell him plainly, this is why I chased you down. This is why I brought you over here. This is why the Lord explains to Jonah what he was doing in verses 10 and 11. The Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. Should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? Compassion was displayed towards something. Jonah displayed compassion to something he had no control over. He, he, he felt regret over this plant that grew and withered. But if the Lord knows when a sparrow falls and that a sparrow, or sorry, and that, and that we are worth so much more than sparrows, God is trying to explain to him, then should you not then have concern with something that is worth so much more than a plant? Should you not have more concern and care for those that are created in my image, whether they know me or not? They are still loved by me. He is not willing to place he's not willing to place value on the city of Nineveh because he is so consumed by how he feels. And he's not willing to submit to God because of this. And what's crazy is that Jonah is expecting God to to have the same value on the city of Nineveh that he has. Essentially he's trying to bring God down onto his level and wants him to conduct himself the way he thinks it should be done. It's something that even we as Christians do. We bring God down to our level, hoping that he would react or act in the way we would. But we, we are supposed to come up to his level because that's why Christ came. Christ came to bring us up to his level so that we see things from his perspective. Christ came to give us life so that then we can go and give life to others. 
Essentially, we, in a way, are Jonah's to be bearers of a message so that the Ninevehs out there would come to know the same love and the same goodness and the same grace that we have experienced in the person of Christ. If you look historically, apparently after this, the revival that takes place in Nineveh lasts about 150 years before it changes. And what I, what I find fascinating is the description that God gives. I've always viewed this some commentators say that the, the people who don't know their right hand from their left, some commentators say that it's referring to the spiritually ignorant, those that are in darkness. I have always seen it more literally, more literally, where I've seen it as little children, 120,000 little kids who don't know their right hand from their left. And it's because of them, oh, and the animals, and the animals, but, but it's because of them that God was showing mercy. It's because of them, God says, I want these young ones to have the opportunity to know the greatness of who I am. That's the mercy God shows. And it's because of them and what wants Jonah to see that. He wants Jonah to look past his feelings and see how there are so many people that could come to know that they are loved and that they are cherished by the God of Israel. Ezekiel 18.23 which reflects the heart of God. I've always liked this verse. I'll take it from the King James. It says, Have I any pleasure at all in the, in the, that the wicked should die? Have I any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, saith the Lord, and not that he should return from his ways and live? It's basically saying God doesn't take pleasure in the death of people. God doesn't take pleasure in the fact that there are people going to a Christless eternity. He doesn't rejoice over that. The God of the Bible is not like the false gods of the Greeks and of the Romans who, who have humanity around for their own personal entertainment. No, it's nothing like that at all. The God of the Bible is, is sovereignly powerful in authority and in person, and he desires to make himself known to all humanity. And, and he does this. When you read through the scriptures, he does this through, through Adam and, and through Cain and Abel and through Noah and through Enoch. And, and then he ends up setting apart a, a nation as the languages cause the population of the earth to spread out. And when he calls Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and, and he sanctifies this nation called Israel to be about showing the world who he is. And when they failed, God raised up judges uh, the, the likes of, say, Caleb and, and Othniel and Samson, and, and then he raised up prophets like Samuel and, and, and Nathan and Elijah, raised up kings like, like David and Josiah and Hezekiah. But ultimately, ultimately, it culminates in the sending of Jesus Christ. The fact that he's the God of all the world, he sends Jesus Christ so that all humanity could know their place before him. To, to place before the Lord, both Jew and Gentile, breaking down the barrier of sin that keeps us separated from him by dying on a cross, by securing our eternal destiny, by raising from the dead, and by granting us forgiveness and acceptance as God's child through trust in Christ. It is exemplified in how much God loves his creation by the sending of Christ, who lived, who died, who rose again and ascended up on high so that we too could be considered the sons and daughters of the great and loving God. You see, Jonah is the story of God's heart, compassion, mercy, and grace over all humanity, and that we have the privilege to be a part of that. Um, this gives me two things, okay? Two things. I've counted a lot of things today. But it tells me two major things that you and I need to be mindful of, especially in today's world and in today's context. 
One, God is always reaching out to those outside the church. He is always reaching out to those outside. He is reaching out for he is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come through repentance. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9. That he commends his love toward us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5, 8. For that manner of love stretches out to all that we might be called the sons and daughters of God in 1 John 3, 1. See, Jesus came into the world to seek and save the lost, Luke 19, 10. To save sinners of which we too are a part and that he reaches out to them continually through you, the church. Through the circle of friends that you have as the church. That we are the hands and feet of the body of Christ that takes the gospel out there and shows not only in act, but also in word and in deed, the greatness of the gospel. That's what we are. He is reaching out to his people. We are to shine as lights for him. And honestly, that is needed more today than ever. With everything that's going on in the world today, we as a church, we have to step up. If we speak week in, week out of the hope and of the love and of the goodness and of grace, and when people are being so distraught, so upset over everything that's going around, we are the bearers of hope. We have light in the darkness because we know the person of Christ. And so as God reached out to Nineveh through Jonah, so God reaches out to the world around us through you. So he's reaching out. He always reaches out. So not only is he always reaching out to the world, secondly, he's always reaching out to the church. He's always reaching out to us as well to fulfill the purpose for which we are designed. To fulfill the purpose that he has always intended. We are to fulfill the purpose as a witness. That we are to testify of who we know. Like, like John the Baptist does in, in John chapter 1. We are to, to testify of, of what we have seen and, and what we've experienced. 1 John chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. That we are to, to, to rep, represent how our lives have been changed, like in Luke 8, with the, 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 the demoniac that gets delivered. That's what we are. We are a witness. Not only as a witness, but also as a body. He reaches out to us as a body that is diverse as we are. I mean, look, you know, we've got a... Filipino boy there, got a couple of Chinese girls there, got a Samoan boy here, okay, a few Malaysians, you know, sorry, I'm not, not, been, not, not racial or anything like this, okay, well, I'm just saying, we've got a diverse number of people, different attitudes, different thoughts, different ideas, but united in Christ, that we are of one heart, we are of one mind, we are of one goal, as I shared before, that as Christ is the head of the church, we as the body of Christ are to go, go forth, diverse, yet unified, to bring about and show who he is. That's awesome. What a great privilege. And, and so we, let's not run away. Let's, let's meet that head on and, and embrace the privilege that's been bestowed upon us as the bearer of God's word. I mean, look at what the body is in 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12. But in Ephesians 4, 16, we read this. From him, in Christ, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. That's what we are. That's who we are in Christ. I'm, I'm, I'm a ligament. You're a ligament. 
You, you know, I've got Brad who's like, uh, he's an ear. You've got Joyce who's, who, who's like the tongue. You've got you know, Cass who's like the big toe. Whatever it might be, whatever it might be, we are all there for the purpose of being united as the body of Christ and showing who Jesus is. That's what we have. So as a witness, as a body, and as a bride, that we are loved, that we are invested into, that we are, we are honored as we are cherished by our, 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 our bridegroom, Christ himself. We are protected, we are nurtured, we are appreciated, and we are grown and developed. The honor bestowed upon us as the Lord Jesus died for us, the church. The, the honor bestowed upon us that he rose again to sanctify us and to set us apart. Uh, the honor bestowed upon us that he is continually working with us. And that even when we're reluctant, even when we're eager, even when we're feeling comfortable or, or when we're stirred, he is reaching out to us. Which means this, as I shared before, we need to be able to recognize his hand as he reaches out. To recognize his prompting. You know when you have the prompt and the, the, the prompt of somebody that comes to mind, I should contact them. I mean, Brad shared earlier on this morning just about how someone shared some messages with him that encouraged his heart. The video that was sent to me for my birthday, like I said, it, 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 was, it, it caused a wane of gratitude and appreciation of the family that I'm a part of. Uh, giving a call or sending something to, to know that people are thought of, to be of being prayed for. So we need to be able to keep an eye out to see what God is doing. Which means this, when there are things that we don't understand regarding what God is doing, when there are things that's, that's going on that we're like, we don't fully comprehend, don't Jonah it. Don't, don't run away. Don't flee because you can't be bothered. Don't take off because it's easier to do it this way. Don't get angry because it doesn't go our way. Don't let your emotions determine to you what you should or should not do. Don't allow those things. Don't let your feelings determine what is true or false, what is just or unjust, what is right or wrong. Rather, let us filter through the Word of God, through the Holy Spirit, as we trust in His promises, allow, allow that to determine or govern where and when and what we should be doing. We can either do that, or if we do choose to follow, we'll end up wallowing in the depths, sitting in the belly of the fish, crying out in frustration, wondering why and how we got here. When it's something as simple as, I went my way instead of God's way. I want to... Just give you a quote. This is from Mike Piatanitama, uh, from his yesterday's devotion. I pray, Lord, that if we are going to get angry, we get angry to irrational acts, but rather allow you to, to mold us to be more like your son, Jesus Christ. We ask for you to dismiss us now, and I pray that this word will not fall on deaf ears, but rather on good soil that will bring forth much fruit as you take us as your bride and bring us about to be a vessel of great honor to you. We thank you and we ask you to dismiss us now in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.